out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Good afternoon. It is a beautiful sunny day here in Austin, Texas, midsummer. Time for those plays and play acting and going to see Shakespeare that you would never ordinarily ever entertain. But that's what they're going to do. And they're going to go melt in the hot sun in makeup and weird old trousers and feathered hats while you do the same out in the audience on the grass and maybe drink adult beverages if that's what you do. I recently attended a uh, July 4th event and I asked the people around me, I'm like, do you know why people drink when it's hot? And nobody could really give me a good answer. So I asked somebody who doesn't even drink, John, my, my spouse, and I said, why do people drink when it's hot? And he says, because you get numb to the heat. It, it seems like a cold beverage at first, but then after a while, you're just standing around drinking warm beer, but you don't care anymore because you're drunk. And I thought that was interesting. So I, I wanted to tell you, at least now I know. So this is the facial recognition edition of the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast. Something we kind of returned back or circled back to deserves more coverage because it's getting more critical. So here we go. So the TSA will use facial recognition in over 400 airports. Scan your credential here. The Transportation Security Administration will expand its facial recognition program to around 430. Oh, they they brought that number down. So that's 430 U.S. airports over the next several years following what it calls extremely promising results in a pilot program, according to Fast Company. The agency reportedly said its program yielded a 97% effective results across all demographics, including those with dark skin. Now, here is my my problem, is that the, the case has been made that biometrics is ineffective because it doesn't recognize people with dark skin. My problem is, is that why are we scanning people of any demographic, period? And so there's been this, this cacophony of, of people, you know, banging on the desk, hey, hey, bias, bias, we want equality for people being unnecessarily scanned by the TSA. So, so the bias thing is, is not, not as relevant to me, but being profiled unfairly because of dark skin has sometimes been a problem within the government. And I'm beginning to think it's a real problem in democratic districts. So I'll just move on. The program is currently in use in 25. So it will go from 25 to 430 unless you get involved and shoot down this pilot. And I'm not talking about an airport pilot. This is the TSA pilot program. Okay, moving on. As pointed out in Fast Company, uh, a 97% effectiveness rate across more than 2 million airline passengers per day means that for over 60,000 of those people, the biometrics won't work properly if it's used in every airport in the country. So at the moment, and 3%, if you're in a bad spot and you've been kind of unlawfully profiled, 
That seems like that's going to be a bigger number than you think. That's going to be several thousand people. And if you end up being one of those thousand people, who's going to be your advocate? You got to think about these things now because there, we've got a hyper-criminalization going on of, of a bunch of people and it, it's tough to make your case without a lot of lawyering. So if you just take this out of the, the factoring in the pile, then you don't really have to, to deal with it. But I, I think this warrants a lot of dissent from, from the listeners who, who get this programming. So, at the moment, the pilot program is officially voluntary. It uses one-to-one -one matching. That is, it compares your face in the moment against your government-issued ID, like a driver's license or a passport. The TSA says the data is immediately overwritten when the next passenger moves up and that the at the end of the day, no images are saved. Now, they had said things and made noises like this about the x-ray scans. If I call the TSA and ask them about the genital x-ray scans that everybody is doing right now in the machine that you have to go through unless you want to get molested by, you know, a woman or man of your choice in gloves appropriated to your gender. Hopefully they don't hit you in your lady gonads. This is getting involved. Anyways, so... The TSA says that the data is immediately overwritten. It's disposed of. You don't have to worry about it, but they keep the records. Their track record of being truthful on this is, is pretty not good, which is why the inspector general who watchdogs the TSA on things like privacy and record keeping and FOIA compliance and things like that, compliance for the agency is a busy character. So... You know, they've earned the label American Gestapo for a reason. It's things like, you know, it's soft cells like this. Oh, it's voluntary until it's compulsory. And when it's presented to you at the airport, was it presented to you in a voluntary way? Like you can opt out or do they just leave that part out and present it to you like, okay, well, this is the next next phase of, of security at this airport. You shall do this. And they don't really tell you that it's optional. That has happened before. So be careful. Be careful with this. You know, we're going to come back to this. But uh, uh, I, I may have to take any learned helplessness regarding the TSA to rehab in this episode because, because this is your future. It goes from 25 to 430. That's a severely peaking. And, and man, those contractors, they want your money. They want that money. All right. So moving on. The UK Formula One Grand Prix has made an independent decision first of its kind as a venue to use broadly applied facial recognition technologies stadia-wide because they didn't want a handful of climate activists on the speedway. So everybody's getting scanned because of five dopes who got on the speedway to protest. And I'm not against protest, but I think they're making a bigger deal out of this than they really need to. They obviously had more police presence in force. They were forcibly removing these folks off of the speedway. Okay, yes, it was annoying. 
But I don't think there were any bombs involved. I, I don't think there was any actual terrorism. It was totally inconvenient, and I'm sure that people who paid a lot of money to be at the Grand Prix were pretty mad. Uh, but being mad doesn't mean that it's a deterrent. Like, I don't want to go expose myself to a, a corporate use of this technology because the venue adopted it and said, here, police, you can just use our stuff. That's the way it came down to me. So it seems like a ruse to me, but, you know, if, if commercial authorities are treating public protest imposition as the worst type of crime, like, like terrorism, but it's not terrorism. Okay, the police will seem to be interpreting the enforcement accordingly using this technology, but it's going to be done without public consent in the UK. Okay, and without any formed legal guidance from the government to, to restrict or scope its uses at the venue. So they're in trouble. Biometric applications were left out of a 2012 UK law um, regarding identity and identity uh, scope provisions for privacy. So FRT has become somewhat of a social experiment uh, in this case across the pond. So I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. So... You know, they, they want to make it about the climate activists, but it's, it's really about public surveillance. So F1 British Grand Prix facial recognition, this is BBC, at Silverstone being used. So this is Tom Percival and Pete Cooper. Face, facial recognition technology, or FRT, will be used for the first time at the Formula One Grand Prix to stop criminal activity. North Hamptonshire police said it would be used to spot those who pose a risk of danger to the wider public, that it could include wanted criminals and those involved in serious crime or unlawful protest. They're kind of merging them all together as the same. Uh, Detective Superintendent Richard Tompkins said that officers thought long and hard about the use of technology. More than 450,000 people are expected at the Silverstone this weekend. Mr. Tompkins said, this is the first time that we will have used it, FRT, in the North Hampton, Hamptonshire as police force, and also the first time we've used it here at the Grand Prix. Quote, there is a risk of terrorism, serious crime, and of course unlawful protest, which is in it of itself illegal. Okay. In the UK, protesting is probably considered illegal. It's considered uh, illegal sedition, according to, to, to Europe authorities. So that, that is the way it is. That's why they came over here to, to colonize and do things over here. And now we had a July 4th party that said, Hope you like your Grand Prix with no pro real protest protections. So we've got signage advising people that we're doing this. But we feel that it's a proportionate response, and I'm quite content that it's appropriate. If you don't get consent from the people you are filming, I'm not sure that you have an agreement there, sir, for proportionality. I'm not sure. So, there's a supplemental here from the BBC on, on FRT. Live facial recognition camera works by comparing the faces with a watch list generated by the police. This watch list could be made of people who are wanted for crimes or pose a risk of harm to themselves or others, uh, Northamptonshire Force said. 
Any images that trigger alerts are deleted immediately after use or within 24 hours, while those who do not trigger alerts are deleted immediately. The technology was used at the Beyonce concert in Cardiff in May. So, and during the coronation. So, but civil liberties organizations, Liberty and the technology, said the technology should, should not be used by police forces. So, they, I think they're in the same pod we are. Uh, I think it should be a banned technology because the propensity for harm and leverage by the government is not proportionate to the harm that, that people will be experiencing. Um, I think we've gotten into this, this mental space that the people who conduct the terrorism, like the individuals, are somehow blurred out. Because oftentimes they die at the scene and it's a death sentence. Terrorism in and of itself is a death sentence at the scene. Frequently those people die. You know, in, in some cases they are apprehended and put in, in jail. But it's not the worst crime, you know, in proportion to, I think, other crimes, according to me. Like, the damages aren't necessarily so broad. Now, terrorism is a political crime, so governments are especially sensitive to political crimes or any kind of crimes that can be kind of magnetized around a political outcome. So that's why it's so important to them. There are more crimes that harm more people, meaning mass fraud or, you know, poisoned elements in, say, a shipment of, of cat food or, or baby food would cause more harm and death to the public in the numbers. You know, uh, a, a bad heart medicine, for instance, like, that would cause people to, to go into sudden cardiac arrest and die. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people could die from that. I think that's a worse proportionate crime. But if it is a political crime, that puts that in priority to the government way up. So their priorities versus actual crime priorities are something that has to be argued consecutively with the public you pay the taxes they're accountable to you so the proportionality the proportionality argument if they're going to start raking away clawing away freedoms and imposing more upon you then your duty to yourself and your country and others is to make the case and to make the case with your leaders and to make the case with public debate with your opponents. So I wanted to just kind of flex that out there a little bit because we hear about terrorism a lot. The counter-terror actions seem increasingly overly broad and more punitive. So 20 years of counter-terror has brought us to the place where censorship is now being being uh, laundered as law enforcement and saying things that are against an election that didn't go your way uh, is, is becoming less and less legal looking. 
So to protest the outcome of, a, of an election, which has happened almost every single election in America, there's somebody who loses and they always protest in their own way. They, they have dissent. They raise dissents over the outcome of the election that they didn't win. That's what happens. Um, it, it just seems, it's just like nature. It's like going to the bathroom or, uh, you know, preparing food for the next meal. If you have an election, it's like physics. If you drop something from, you know, three feet up, it drops on the ground. That is what happens. Elections. Someone wins, someone loses, there's a dissenter. So, um, so this leads me to my follow-up news from last week. Um, so a public injunction took over news the news cycle entirely after July 4th. Like, July 4th had happened, nobody really knew about it, but then they came back from the holiday, and then they realized that on July 4th, a judge issued an injunction that strictly prohibited the federal government from approaching social media companies, in particular, to monitor their communications for targeted censorship plans in what is called misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, better known as MDM, which is what we're going to use from now on because I can't just say misinformation, disinformation, malinformation over and over and over again. I can't do it. So we're going to use MDM, but that's what it means. And it's been a multi-multi-agency policy in the Biden administration between the law enforcement and the, and the national intelligence branches, including and especially CISA at DHS. So uh, to get the quick and dirty, we're going to go to Will Kane uh, of the Will Kane podcast at Fox, who's going to break it down. So stay tuned for that. We're going to go. In a major decision handed down on Independence Day, Louisiana U.S. District Court Judge Terry Doty said the federal government violated the First Amendment of the United States Constitution by taking on the role of Big Brother. He wrote, during the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian Ministry of Truth. Now, as a result, Judge Doty issued an injunction against all federal government employees from having contact with social media companies and discouraging or removing free speech. That means the CDC, the FBI, the DOJ, the White House. The judge specifically name-checked White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre, HHS Secretary Javier Becerra, and Surgeon General Vivek Murphy. Now, on your screen, as a list of prohibited activities for the feds, which include meeting, emailing, flagging, calling, collaborating, threatening, urging, following up, or issuing bolos, be on the lookouts for censored content with social media. It is an absolutely stunning rebuke of the censorship deep state and the Biden administration, and it's a win for free speech. As of this hour, the Biden administration has appealed this judge's injunction. Now, judges don't usually talk like this. They don't issue such scathing opinions or broad injunctions. Why here? Well, Judge Doty wrote, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs are true, the present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. A massive win today for free speech that did not go over so well with our enlightened elite who have taken up the cause 
of censorship. Walter Isaacson, a professor and an author who has written biographies on Albert Einstein and Henry Kissinger and Steve Jobs, among others, said this on MSNBC. I think Judge Daugherty's decision goes too far. I clearly feel that in the end, the decision will be refined somewhat because government has to have the right to have its own free speech to push back when they see things on social media they think are dangerous. The government has to have its own free speech to push back on things that are dangerous on social media? Now, Isaacson, he surely has enough honorary degrees to know that the government is not a private citizen and that their suggestions, their speech, can carry the force of coercive law. But what is he talking about when he talks about something being dangerous? What is dangerous that must be censored? Well, that was also answered today on MSNBC. As the judge makes exceptions for, for national security and criminal activity, but isn't there a fine line when it comes to national security specifically, especially when we're talking about elections here, the fact that election, uh, you know, the, the full faith that the American public has in elections could be undermined? Couldn't that potentially be a national security threat? Of course. Oh, oh so, so like terrorism, specific violent threats, vaccine misinformation, COVID origins, mass compliance, RFK Jr., Donald Trump denying the results of or tweeting about and potentially influencing an election. Outside, of course, if you're in the approved thought. You know, dangerous. Benjamin Weingarten wrote today in the New York Post, imagine an America where the Fed surge actual speech police wherever chatter on social media questions the integrity of the vote. Speech police who then take to the airwaves to attack those making the claims. If this sounds far-fetched, consider that last summer, a national security agency actually molded the idea of deploying a rapid response team to local jurisdictions to help election officials fend off mis, dis, and malinformation, MDM-related threats, including through communications, an idea that one Fed called fascinating. Now, that dystopia was our reality. We now know thanks to a new report from the House Weaponization Committee. The report reveals how an agency, CISA, who was originally tasked with combating foreign cyber attacks and defending the grid, came to target Americans' tweets questioning mail-in balloting. And get this, CISA's director, Jen Easterly, has said cognitive infrastructure, you know, what's infrastructure? Everything's infrastructure, apparently, including what you think. Patrolling cognitive infrastructure is critical, thus justifying CISA censoring dangerous speech. It truly is what was said by Judge Doty, Orwellian. And so he said, no more of this from the Ministry of Truth. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, they really, they look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that, and, they're, and they're killing people. We are asking technology companies uh, to help lift up the voices of credible uh, health authorities. It's also why they have to do more to reduce uh, the misinformation that's out there so that the true voices of experts can shine. Facebook should provide publicly and transparently data on the reach of COVID-19, uh, COVID vaccine misinformation, not just engagement, but the reach of the misinformation. Now, it's understandable, meaning you don't excuse it, but you can conceive why. The Democrat Party, federal agencies, and permanent Washington are so antagonistic to free speech. They want no challenge 
to their power. But it's at least slightly surprising that the press is so anti-press. Let me show you something from the Monday edition of the New York Times in an article entitled GOP Threatens Spy Agency Surveillance Tool. The article is about Republicans fighting Section 702 of the Foreign, Foreign Surveillance Intelligence Act. Section 702 allows for warrantless surveillance of foreign targets. It was originally intended as a tool in the war on terror. But if those foreign targets in some way allegedly connect to an American, well, we're off and running. And boy, have we run. 702 has been used against BLM rioters, January 6th protesters and rioters, and of course, through Carter Page, to target Donald Trump. Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio has said, there's no way we're going to reauthorize that in its current form, no possible way. It's interesting, at one time, Democrats, the left and the media, looked at federal government surveillance skeptically. But now, the New York Times wrote on Monday, an intensive drive by right-wing Republicans in Congress to vilify the FBI with charges of political bias has imperiled a program allowing spy agencies to conduct warrantless surveillance on foreign targets, sapping support for a premier intelligence tool and amplifying demands for stricter limits. The New York Times, champion of spying on Americans. You see, Republicans had a change of heart on 702 and became champions for free speech because they became the target for illegal surveillance and censorship. The press and Democrats who once championed themselves as protectors of free speech also had a change of heart on surveillance and censorship because they liked that Republicans became the target of surveillance and censorship. In the end, this entire story, it's not about free speech. It's not about speech at all. It's only about, and has always been only about, control and power. That is, I guess, unless a judge in Louisiana can really stop Big Brother. Okay. So that was the unpacking of what the limits were. It's pretty comprehensive. It looks like they're they're not allowed to talk to you. They're just not allowed to talk to you, period. Not, not on social media. But anyways. So, um... So Will Kane broke that down very excellently. Um, Biden's argument against the injunction is that, well, you cannot prohibit these, these agencies from speaking to anyone at social media because they need to enforce the law and they also have speech rights. Okay. Um, I can make the counter argument that if someone has more physical power than you, has evidence that they've been bullying you uh, on, a, on the daily operates against the interests of the people that you have contracts with to the point where it's obstructing regular business, um, then a restraining order is warranted. So that's how the injunction is currently functioning as a restraining type of order uh, because the government has abused their powers and they're using it in an unlawful way aimed at the public. So... They've put a restraint on everybody rather than, you know, let a, a living and let living and then and just finding a, a happy medium or negotiating through public affairs and rational debate what the role of government should be at social media. Um, just re recalculating that entire regime directed at media because at this point, 
They're making money from social media. They're shareholders in social media. They are, um, you know, they've got offices, law enforcement offices inside of Facebook and have for a really long time. They have sold, they've got a business relationship. They've sold intelligence directly about whomever they want to target, American, foreign, doesn't matter. They, they just sell it to whichever agency asks for it, which means that even if they're a foreign-directed agency, like, say, the GEC, which is a State Department agency, or the CIA, which is a foreign-directed agency, uh, they ask for an American citizen's data, you know, which is culled through the social media, you know, in the background. And then, you know, Facebook says, okay, I got a check, I get you, there it is. And that's it. That's it. You are now kind of like co-property in, in this situation. You don't even know what happened because there was no warrant involved. No accountability. It's all just, you know, exchanges. And because they're shareholders, they can ask for more power and put leverage their, their rules and their, their, their regulatory environment in the exchanges. And they can muscle because they own part of the company, essentially. And that's extremely unfair to the United States citizen. So, another discovery this week, late this week, included some some files in the Missouri v. Biden backlogs. So I went poking around for the short form terms, you know, came up with the Will Kane interview, and, and you know, I'm looking for bullet points on on the injunction. Like, what are what are the points where they're really going to be restricted? You know, what's our part? What's their part? So what I found was a press release from the Missouri Attorney's General's office, which I posted at notes on Substack, to tell another news item about the Biden administration pressuring, pressuring Facebook to censor Tucker Carlson, and, and this is part of their case for the injunction. So I'm going to read some of that for you now. So let's go over here to notes. So, Epoch Times. Biden administration. Press Tucker Carlson. About censoring him. Post federal lawsuit alleges. Facebook compiled with requests from members of, of President Joe Biden's White House staff to throttle the reach. Okay. So, um, and then what came down from that was the Missouri v. Biden press release and so some of the exhibits include the white house and this is not just tucker carlson it's it's like packed up a lot the white house asks twitter as a known critic of the white house covid19 narrative the white house directs facebook this is the white house uh on tucker carlson and tommy laren white house director flaherty scolds facebook saying uh, about products unless they're having measurable impact at suppressing speech. Apparently angry about this. Flaherty informs Facebook that misinformation around the vaccine is a concern shared at the White House. Flaherty demands that Facebook step up its operations on vaccines. In regard to anti-vax post, Flaherty tells Facebook seems reasonable to do an action. Or to not do an action. Facebook assures Flaherty. In addition to removing vaccine information. 
They removed vaccine information on behalf of the government. We have been focused on reducing the virality of content discouraging vaccines that does not contain actionable misinformation, including dot, dot, dot. Flaherty vehemently disagrees with Facebook decision not to take down COVID-19 vaccines, stating not for nothing, but last time we did this dance, it ended in an insurrection. He can't predict the future. We don't pay the government to be future predictors. For crimes that haven't happened yet. This is half of the government's neurosis in these cases. Flaherty tells Twitter that if you're a product that seems like a pretty fundamental issue. Hmm. Facebook assures Flaherty that they are are or are not. Let me read, read this. Facebook assures Flaherty that they are unsupported by evidence. Flaherty. Bending over backwards to tolerate disfavored speech after Twitter refuses to comply with the White House demands to censor a video. Whew. I mean, it's kind of piled. I mean, there's, there's definitely instances there. Missouri v. Biden was filed by the Attorney General of Missouri and Louisiana on May 5th, 2022. They filed a motion for expedited preliminary injunction-related discovery on June 17, 2022, and that motion was granted on July 12, 2022, clearing the way for Missouri and Louisiana to gather discovery and documents from the Biden administration on social media companies. The request for depositions was filed on October 10, 2022, and the motion was granted October 21, 2022, allowing Missouri and Louisiana to depose top-ranking officials in the federal government under oath. So far, Missouri and Louisiana have deposed Dr. Anthony Fauci, FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan, Eric Waldo of the Surgeon General's Office, Carol Crawford of the CDC, and Daniel Kimmage of the State Department. Depositions continue. Exhibits include White House Asked Twitter, a known critic of White House COVID-19 narrative. White House directs Facebook, Tucker Carlson, Tommy Lahren, so forth and so on. Just goes on. So, so it's like they doubled it up. So there is proof that they approached Fox for direct censorship of maybe their online vectors of, of their media and of some of the stuff that went out maybe on TV. Possible. But that is direct censorship. It's where it kind of bleeds over from the internet to reach into the television and cable news business, which is weird to me. You would think that the cable news would be the patsy and the first strike for them, but no, it's it's social media, which is really interesting because they kind of pose themselves as like, yeah, we're the bad guys. We or bad boys. We 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 rebel against the establishment and that hasn't been true for at least 15 years. <laughs> They've been schlepping it with those with the government and taking their money as contractors. So so I just wanted to add an addendum there that Tucker Carlson who was ousted at Fox a couple months ago for 
still un- unknown and undeclared reasons by Fox to, to Carlson, uh, took an interview with Russell Brand Friday, where he disclosed that his son was at the incursion January 6th in near proximity to Ashley Babbitt. And that seemed to be his civil libertarian uh, initiation into the January 6th case for the Sixth Amendment right to trial, right to a fair trial. Carlson's coverage producing public evidence that led to the exoneration of Jacob Chansley, also known as the QAnon shaman. Um, Chansley should be out of probationary treatment soon, closing the book on the criminalization of his presence at the Capitol grounds during the events of January 6th. Whether he wants his life to be extracted from policy, politics and policy or not, Carlson's effects as a polemic, arguing the editorial case for fair treatment, contributed to a counterbalance to rival networks calling for as much as the death penalty for people just present at the Capitol grounds during the incursion. So... So what law are we enforcing here, fellows? There's no real crime going on when somebody dissents against public election outcomes. I'm still going to, I'm just going to hold on to that. There's no crime that happens when somebody says, eh, I don't really, you know, if they do something additional to that, like pull a gun or try to stop a proceeding or something like that, there, there are appropriate crimes that can be, but, but terrorism kind of on the verge but we have a right to dissent against outcomes in our government that's provided for in the first amendment period if it doesn't go our way we have the right to dissent so these are just some of the broad attempts at public mind control and censorship let's just call it what it is okay more commonly known as psychological operations there's a term for it and you pay for it involuntarily with your taxes so those actions are prohibited by our constitution really they are really really they are so it's high time to take it seriously. So I think it was fireworks on July 5th to see the news of Missouri v. Biden's preliminary injunction everywhere. That was really good news for me and for a lot of people. So, but I, I want you to know on July 3rd, there was, a, there was a lot going on July 3rd. There was news of a flying car that didn't really make, get out there. That happened. Like, oh, the FAA approved a, a flying car. Nobody reported that. Except for Fox. Okay, and on July 3rd, also reports came in that DHS at CISA are retrenching on Miss Dis and Mal, MDM, information policy by moving out Kim Wyman, who was a former Secretary of State for the state of Washington, and moving in Kate Conley for election security. So Conley was billed as an Army counterterror veteran by conventional press at the top of reports. But deeper into related reporting, we discovered that Conley was not just a people's counterterror worker. She wasn't just like a bee going along, doing her army duty. No, no. She worked at the Harvard's Kennedy Center on the D3P project for election security, which included the D3P elections playbook on mis, dis, and malinformation, MBM. Harvard would be one of the vanguard institutions seeking to project the government's psychological operations or propaganda tailoring for execution at social media companies. So keep this in mind. She was in there writing and editing and, you know, throwing up 
big PowerPoints and selling it, selling it, you know, as an NGO project to the government. And government was like, yes, yes, do more. So D D3P three would be one of the federally funded NGOs performing public surveillance of social media accounts and flagging them for thought crime. So news of Conley's hire reached the public after Jennifer Easterly was grilled by the Congress Weaponization Committee on unconstitutional pursuit of controlling public dialogue on many things, many, many things. But it also included U.S. elections. So CISA was in particularly hot water for actions leading to the censorship of true information, also known as malinformation. This is the disinformation. This is the uh, <clears throat> malinformation is the true information that the government doesn't like. Period. And so this true information was about the Biden family and Hunter Biden's laptop in particular. So I'm going to take a few moments to read some of the op-ed. And it was pretty wise by Ben Weigarten, which was previously cited, as to why this is increasing problems for Americans' domestic elections are democracy. So that they are so vigorously seeking to protect and say Ukraine. How about a little levity? How about a little on the level, like keep it, keep it real for a little de-democracy here in the United States? You know, stop trying to knock us over like we're a third world banana republic and let us have our elections on the normal. Okay, that is going to require us to have a hard, very difficult conversation about the role of other governments and our government based on business. What am I getting at here? I, I have been called an anti-Semite this week because I merely acknowledged that the Biden administration has had corrupt ties to the Chinese Communist Party through business and through influence peddling um, by other writers on Substack just for noticing it, <clears throat> just for saying this is so. Uh, they don't care that the content of the news that I presented them was true or false, just that it reflected poorly on Joe Biden. So that's where we're at right now. We're like, if you're not with us, you're against us. And you're supposed to be uh, for us because we're in power. And that's not how democracies work, my friend. I get a vote. And if I don't vote for you, that's those are the breaks. I'm a voter. That's a democratic election. That's how it goes. So um, this is very unfavorable news, of course, to the Biden administration. If they want to stay in power, they look really bad for colluding with another government to run our own country based on corrupt means. Okay? And, and there is a big track record of this with the ruling class. And so... They have this other kind of sub-government plot going on where you're, you and I are not really included. <clears throat> so the person who's made this point really well is Ben Weingarten. And uh, at Newsweek, so I'm going to read most of his op-ed here for you now. Okay, so this is like the 3,000 to 20,000 foot look down on what's going on here. 
So the associations between members of the Joe Biden administration and Chinese Communist Party, or CCP-linked individuals and entities, are incredibly disturbing. Personnel is policy, and by dint of such ties and past dutiful service to administrations that pursued the very policies of engagement and accommodation that enabled communist China's rise, we can surmise that the president and the architects of his agenda will likely be uniquely soft on China, that the fledgling Biden presidency has, by political necessity, uh, sought to create a veneer of toughness towards China with rhetoric, while from its earliest days, literally and figuratively bending over for it with a battery of weak policies would seem to reinforce this view. But as disturbing as the backgrounds are of those Biden staffers who will be developing and executing this likely uniquely detrimental policy, what is perhaps even more disturbing is just how common such backgrounds are amongst those who would be tapped for such positions. Okay. So any president from the bipartisan political establishment, through increasingly based on the Democratic side, would likely be selecting nominees for senior roles, touching on China from a pool of candidates at best two degrees separated from the CCP and more than likely positively predisposed to ever greater interaction and integration with it. China exploits this. This is because those seeking high-level positions in government, particularly in the realm of national security and foreign policy, typically hail from a ruling class that is largely captured by China. That our elites are so inextricably intertwined and therefore deeply influenced by Beijing is one of the many reasons the China challenge to America today far exceeds the posed one by the Soviet Union and Russia decades ago. A cursory review of some of the Biden officials' ties to China illustrates the nature and magnitude of the problem. Secretary of State Tony Blinken co-founded a consultancy, West Exec Advisors, and among other things, helped corporations and academic institutions pursue their interest in China. His administration's colleagues, Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines and White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, were on West Exec's payroll. Secretary Blinken was also Managing Director of the Penn-Biden Center, backed by the University of Pennsylvania, which allegedly saw a major uptick in anonymous Chinese funding to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, following the center's opening funds that may have flowed to it. Central Intelligence Agency Director-designate William Burns ran the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, which was reportedly underwritten in part with up to $2 million from CCP-tied businessmen and their think tanks. United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who spoke favorably of China during a paid speech at Savannah State University, delivered one of the CCP's Trojan Horse Confucius Institutes and was a senior vice president at the former Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright's Albright Stonebridge Group. The, quote, global strategic advisory and commercial diplomacy firm, end quote, touts its China practice as the firm's larger, largest single country group. Several of its members, including its head, have worked for the Chinese government. And on and on and on and on. 
So let me get to the bottom. So influence is the coin of the CCP's realm. The Communist Party of the Soviet Union also sought to penetrate, compromise, and leverage American institutions. But America never embraced commercial relations with the Soviet Union to a similar extent, nor did America welcome widespread collaboration, by and large, across our commanding heights. We have helped create our most formidable adversary, and in the process, our ruling class has been corrupted by it. Absent a new elite, it's unclear how this ends well for the ruled, and that would be us. So I've included a link in the sources to this, to this editorial. So um, I did also want to in- include the announcement. CISA, Jen Easterly announced that Kate Conley, senior advisor to the director, will take on additional responsibilities supporting CISA's election security efforts. Conley will spearhead CISA's partnership engagement and coordination efforts with election officials across the nation as they continue to serve as the frontline defenders of election infrastructure. So just keep that in mind. D3P! What you think is wrong! If I say it is... So, to suppress the news, that is true. That's malinformation. And treat it as crime. It's not just intellectually dishonest or undemocratic. It's against the highest principle of our laws. The U.S. Constitution and the First Amendment. So you have to know that that it's a big surprise to get news of an injunction that prohibits the feds from pursuing the public for at least this week. It was kind of like a gift in the mail. Like, what? Did I get this? Oh, thank you. The Biden administration's lawyers are seeking counter-injunction on the appeal to continue their unconstitutional approaches to U.S. elections and the public's right to know what is going on. So I think it's worth saying, when the government is using your tax resources to enforce a belief in their lies, it's like their job to enforce your belief in their lies. And they get paid for it, and there's an office where they do it, and they they write out policies and cut checks and make phone calls to universities. I think it's time for you to reform your government. So that's definitely worth your time and involvement. So on that note, I wanted to pivot back to civic involvement and engaging the problem of automated use of facial recognition technology. Because all of this is AI driven. So speaking of the ruling class, I just wanted to put this addendum note in there. Mark Zuckerberg is married to somebody who is Cantonese, who came over here and... So he has Chinese parody. Also has, he's like government freeway. Facebook is a government surveillance freeway. He's trading intelligence with all the people. Like the people of the Republic of China, the United States. It's all mashed together. And your data is their data and their data is your data. But you don't know that. But now you do. Um... I just wanted to tell you again, because if you've been listening to the show for a while, you would know that that's how they they sell. They sell the information to China. China treats the data as coin. They return coin back to Google 
or Facebook or whomever is sending them spreadsheet data. And then government over here does something similar, but they say, here is coin, give us data. So it's kind of kind of six and one half dozen of the other. One government does it one way, the other government does it a little differently. <sighs> okay. So, um, automation, automated use of, of facial recognition. Doesn't get much of a reputation for being AI, but uh, for the people putting in the purchase orders to get it to operate on spec, uh, they know it's driven by an algorithm. So, such as Clearview. Clearview's got a great backstory, very involved, and, and we know this, so do a lot of people. So, I tweeted at Tom Morello well over a month ago that I didn't care about him because he didn't appear to care about facial recognition technology. So Tom Morello is an L.A. staple for left-influenced causes. He's also the, the guitarist for Rage Against the Machine, which in the past has included, you know, sensitivity towards cases of racial profiling and, you know, injustices that are more broad by our system. So... And it does seem that the fight for the future took notice, like, oh, we got to get him to care about this. And they, I've cashed them as another leftist L.A. civil advocacy group, but they just happen to be working to promote whole ban policy on FRT, which I agree with. I agree on whole ban. They should just ban it. It's bad for humanity. Ban it all. Uh, and they made the case to enlist Morello and De La Rocha and many other black t-shirt wearing bands to do just that. So I have a, a news item here from you from the independent. Let's just go there now. <clears throat> Rage Against the Machine founders Tom Morello and Zach Della Rocha are among artists boycotting music, U.S. music venues that, that use face scanning technology. Well, good for them. A digital rights advocacy group named Fight for the Future has organized the boycott calling for a ban on face-scanning technology at all live events in the country. Yay! In a press statement, Fight for the Future campaigner Layla Nashashibi said, surveillance tech companies are pitching biometric data tools as innovative and helpful for increasing efficiency and security. Not only is this false, it is morally corrupt. But moral corruption really isn't a, a sale point for the administration. But anyways, it was good for... Rage Against the Machine got them on board. For starters, this technology is so inaccurate that it actually creates more harm and problems than it solves. Yes, through misidentification and other technical faultiness. Can't flaw her there. She's right. She added, even scarier, though, is a world in which all facial recognition technology works 100% perfectly. In other words, a world in which privacy is non-existent where we're identified, watched, and surveilled everywhere we go. So she's right to, to want to boycott those venues. She's right. She's got the right idea, holding them to account and saying, we're not going to consent to this on a commercial basis. So there's an example of what you can do. I have a few other ideas. I just wanted to add that while Rage Against the Machine is not an automated technology, the rage against the automated technologies that provide the machining is relevant to this newscast. And without uh, embellishing more, um, 
I guess I have to care about Rage Against the Machine again as well. So if they're minding liberty for people who look like felons but aren't, which is their whole shtick, uh, we can continue a positive affinity on the issues that matter. In the great tradition of protecting the rights of gross dissenters and loud, mean-looking, and even ugly people in black t-shirts, carried forth by greats like Henry Rollins and Black Flag, we're in your corner when it counts. So, this carries me back to the 400-plus airports that are projected to adopt this technology. More broad-based surveillance of your face. If it is not enough to have it in the passports and in some of the driver's licenses and then have an x-ray machine that takes a copy photo of your junk before you can board securely. Sorry, did I say junk? I meant your genitals. We have to start drawing increasingly strident boundaries with the TSA and America's Gestapo. So let's hear it. Why should or shouldn't we move forward with FRT in 400 plus airports? Because the contractor wants that bid. He wants that public money. You tell me why we shouldn't continue incrementally giving up personal bodily sovereignty just to board a U.S. flight. I have my own reasons. I need to hear from you. Yours. Throw them at me. I don't care. I've been given the travel business to trains and buses and automobiles. Flying has become overrated because of the dirty things they may try to make me do to fly. So I don't, I don't do it if I don't, I avoid it. I don't want to be touched by the TSA. So if you can tell me, you can tell it to anyone. If you can tell it to anyone, you can tell your reasons for not allowing this to go forward to your U.S. congressional representatives in a letter or a phone call. This is one U.S. pilot you were allowed to shoot down. The TSA biometrics pilot. So tell them why and tell them now. So... That brings me to the end of this week's program. I look forward to hearing from you. I'm bringing back my old sign-off, which is, remember, everyone has power, especially you. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast Archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call-In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.